following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. In 1865, uh, one of perhaps the most, what will be the word, romantic or romanticized um, arms of the government was established for the purpose of rooting out counterfeiters, people who copy money, but they have a much more famous task today, the United States Secret Service is that law enforcement agency which is responsible for protecting very high profile and important government figures as well as still investigating crimes against the nation's financial systems. And last year, in the 2021 fiscal year, get this, the service spent around $2.5 billion, with $1 billion of that committed to protecting a total of 53 individuals, most notably our president and Madam Vice President. The purpose for the expense is relatively simple, Keep the designated protectees, that's a secret service word, it's not in the dictionary, but they use it. Keep these designated protectees out of harm's way. We might say that the secret service of the United States of America exists in large part to deliver our nation's leaders from evil and from those who seek to do evil against them. History has proven time and time again that public leaders, kings, queens, emperors, presidents even, are frequently targeted by would-be assassins and other criminals who want to hurt them or even take their lives or kidnap them for ransom. So even the most powerful people in the world need protection. They need protectors. Dear Christian, what if I told you tonight that the same is true for you? You are in desperate need of a protector, and you have one. Though you're not powerful, wealthy, perhaps wise or influential in the eyes of the world, the evil one is roaming about the earth like a lion on the prowl, even as we sang in Psalm 17, and as Peter will remind the early church in his letters, seeking someone to do what? Devour like a lion hungry for human flesh. That's the description we're given of the evil one, our enemy, who's after each and every one of us. And if you desire sincerely to follow and to honor God in your life, then you need to know that you will attract this evil one's attention, that he is scheming right now to thwart God's holy designs for your life, as detailed in the Word. But... You are not left defenseless. You are vulnerable on your own, but you have an almighty protector. We come tonight to the sixth and final petition of the Lord's Prayer, as I've already said. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, as we have it here in the first half of Matthew 6, verse 13. This final prayer request given by Jesus Christ is a rubric or model prayer to the disciples in his Sermon on the Mount shows us the nature of our defense, namely that God Almighty himself is ready to deliver you through this sin-wrecked world and its deadly temptations. I say it again, 
It's a great encouragement to us. God Almighty himself is ready to deliver you through this sin-wrecked world and its deadly temptations. We're going to consider this lesson, this, this encouragement, this comforting word under two headings this evening. First, a world of sin and temptation. It's the environment in which we find ourselves, our setting. A world of sin and temptation. And then secondly, our divine defense and deliverance. Our divine defense and deliverance. That is our recourse, our constant recourse in this world of sin and temptation. So in the first place, where do we find ourselves? Notice that in this prayer request that Jesus gives the disciples to say and work into their prayers, we read these two phrases, into temptation and then evil, or as some translations might rightly render it, evil one. These words tell us quite a bit about the kind of world that we're in and the kind of enemy that we have. And Paul fleshes it out in greater detail in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, where he writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath even as the rest. This is that dangerous situation that we find ourselves in, in this world of sin and temptation. Namely, we have a sinful environment and then a rather sinful nature, which is all too quick to match itself to that sinful environment. The sinful environment is given to us in two parts in Ephesians chapter 2, and certainly both are hit upon here in Matthew 6, 13. In the first place, we're given the world, the course of this world, all the temptations around us. And in the second place, he whom I have already mentioned, that evil one who is seeking someone to devour, who is seeking to destroy our very lives. So consider what it means when Paul writes, walked according to the course of this world. Isn't it just the same as uh, what's being referred to in do not lead us into temptation? Temptations surround us. The ways of this world that, that are modeled for us by influential voices in government and politics and media are always and ever seeking to draw us away from the Lord into some sinful course of action. God himself doesn't tempt us. James 1.13 is rather clear about that. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil things, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But there is no denying that day by day, moment by moment, in this world, we are faced with a, a, a very present reality of constant temptations which assault us from without. Temptations for distraction, temptations for sin, temptations for lethargy and indolence. Do not be caught unawares. Be alert to the dangers that surround you, each and every one of them seeking to pull you away from the truth, to compromise that which you know is true for one reason or the other, either to please men or to please yourself. And those temptations are all around. That's why Christ teaches us here to pray for God's leading through this perilous world of temptation and sin. Namely, he's teaching us to pray to be led by a straight and narrow path. 
that we might avoid those temptations and the sin which so frequently accompanies them. And then, in those cases when they're particularly assaulting us, we are to pray for God's support and deliverance through them, as we said in our catechism and as we confess. So we're praying for those two things, leading through the world and then deliverance when we are trapped in trouble. But then there's this second aspect to our sinful environment, which Christ is hitting on here when he says, deliver us from evil or the evil one. There we're reading about the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who even right now is at work among the sons of disobedience in Ephesians 2.2. 2. Martin Luther calls him the prince of darkness grim. And that's a great title for him, for indeed he is a formidable foe. Consider what he's done, what his resume he might put on there with great pride in his heart. He deceived Eve in the garden and caused her fall drawing her husband down with her, corrupting all humanity for ages to come except one very special, extraordinary person. He tempted Job with physical destruction, slaughtering his family and all his flocks and herds, destroying his crops, even afflicting his very body. We've been hearing about that week after week, primarily in the morning services. And don't forget... The force with which, the rage with which he came against our Lord and Savior in the Judean wastelands, tempting him with rocks to be turned into bread, with uh, glory of this world, with, with all manner of promises which he could not deliver on. Whatever the materialism of our present day and age might suggest, the devil is real and he is the evil one. No demonic power is greater than he, for he is that great enemy of old whom we call Satan. Have you ever wondered what Satan means, boys and girls? The word literally translated means adversary or accuser, the one who is against us. That's what his name means. He's not for us. He is against us. He's against you and me and all of our spiritual good. And so we pray to our good God who is infinitely greater than all created things, including this prince of darkness grim, mind you. We pray to God, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. So that's the sinful environment in which we find ourselves, assaulted on every side by uh, the world and the devil. But perhaps our greatest enemy is our own sinful nature, that which we call the flesh. Now, when we speak of the flesh as a spiritual danger, we're not referring to our material bodies. For remember, God created Adam from the dust of the earth not to be a pure or disembodied spirit, but rather to, to be a man, both body and soul. There's nothing inherently evil about our bodies. But having fallen into sin then, our natures have been corrupted in every part such that our bodies and our appetites are disordered and twisted, drawing us into all manner of sins. What, what we might call lusts of the flesh are really corrupted and sinful desires and affections. Take, for example, the sin of gluttony. This is something that we don't speak about enough in this country. Is there anything wrong with desiring food when you're hungry? If you've been working hard uh, all day at work, you come home and you want to eat something. Is there anything wrong with that? No, not at all. But is there something wrong with desiring more 
and more food, more and more sweets or cereals or, or steaks or hot dogs or whatever you want to put in there, whatever your favorite food is, even beyond that which is reasonable for health. Is there something messed up about that? Yes. Each of us know it. Some of us maybe feel a bit guilty about that. <laughs> but you can apply this, this same approach to, to analyzing your appetites, your desires, what it is you want, uh, to a variety of things. Um, hunger might morph into gluttony. Diligence could always be twisted into workaholism. Rest can crash into slothfulness. Uh, chaste affections can be twisted into insatiable lusts. Responsibility can turn into fretful worry. Even the desire to be helpful, get this, can descend into an abusive thirst for power over others. Even our most noble desires and affections can be twisted by sin that bubbles up from our corrupted human nature. On our own power, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are unable to resist the natural inclination we have to sin because it has corrupted every part of our bodies, every part of who we are, even our very souls. And so we desperately need help from beyond ourselves you see, this world is a world of sin and temptation, whether assaulting us from our environment or from an enemy or bubbling up from within our nature, corrupted by sin. Temptation is both around us and within us. But God Almighty is ready to deliver you through this sin-wrecked world and its deadly temptations. You are not without hope or a defense. We can now proceed to our second heading, our divine defense and deliverance. This is what Christ taught us to seek from God's hand when we pray. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's telling us to seek for a refuge, a shelter, a defender, and a deliverer, and a redeemer, even as some of us were talking about in Sunday school earlier today. Notice these two verbs that Christ gives his disciples in verse 13. Lead and deliver. These two words, perhaps to you and to me, seem to be rather generic. But to those who grew up in ancient Palestine, those who would have grown up singing uh, psalms like 77 and 23, immediately would think of what? A shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads his flock and delivers them out of danger. And indeed, God shepherds us through the good shepherd himself. And so as we're thinking about divine defense and deliverance, we need to be thinking about Christ Jesus, our defender and our deliverer. We're not praying for something in the abstract. We're praying for someone to come and to rush into our aid. Now, Christ as our defender leads us through all the trials and difficulties and troubles of this world. One of the primary tasks of a shepherd is to lead his flock from place to place uh, for food, and then over there, and then water over there, and then rest somewhere else. And a good shepherd knows very well the lay of the land, the dangers that lurk in the shadows and along the way, and perhaps right there in the middle of the path. And, and a good shepherd 
would, would evaluate all the possible routes he could take at different times of the year, and he would select the safest possible route for his precious sheep, those whom are entrusted to his care to get from point A to point B. And so when we pray the words, lead us not into temptation, we are praying for our God to defend our well-being in this world, to lead us away from dangers that lurk about us in this world of sin and temptation. What does this look like? Children, you might ask God to lead you away from the temptation to rude and inappropriate conversation. Lord, lead me away from the temptation to make a crude or silly joke at a wrong time, or lead me away from the temptation to do something that's going to upset my mom or my dad. You know, sisters, you might pray uh, for God to lead you away from occasions of worry and stress. You know your weaknesses. You know those things which grate against you. And you pray, oh God, deliver me, uh, lead me away from those things that I would not be overcome with worry for my children or, or stress about finances or worry for my husband. Uh, men, brothers, you may be asking God to lead you away from particular frustrations in your work life. I know I've prayed that prayer many times. And certainly, in our day and age, away from the media that is so poisoned with perversity that just suffuses our culture. You know the challenges that exist for each and every one of us. You know the challenges that are uniquely potent in your own life. And do you pray, God, lead me away from those occasions of temptation and trial. As you pray, lead us not into temptation. The point is here that you are asking God in Christ to lead you in safety on paths of righteousness for his name's sake as our shepherd and defender. And yet, as a larger catechism puts it in expounding on this petition, quote, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God for diverse, holy, and just ends may so order things that we may be assaulted, foiled, and for a time even led captive by temptations. There may be times when you are confronted with that image that causes your mind to just run wild. There are times when some trial, maybe a medical diagnosis or financial difficulty will come into your household and just completely scare you and cause you to worry and to fret. Boys and girls, you will be faced with a friend or family member at some point who's going to say something to try to get a rise out of you to cause you then to respond with something that you know you shouldn't do or say. Those will come. And note, God has a purpose in those occasions. And so when we are confronted with them, we don't pray merely keep us away from them, though certainly we do pray that rightly, but we also pray deliver us from evil. And so God in Christ is not only our defender, but also our deliverer through these trials. In Matthew 1.21, just to refresh your memory, and certainly it's on all of our minds this time of year, we're told that an angel of the Lord, whom we know from Luke's account as Gabriel, said to Joseph that his wife Mary, quote, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. This indeed is the preeminent aim of God the Son in taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul to do what? 
to save his people from their sins that then they might enjoy communion with God in and through him. And how does Christ save his people? By living a perfect life, incurring no guilt of sin, bearing no corruption in his being, and yet taking our place on the cross, suffering the death that we deserve, separation from the love of God the Father, and yet taking, um, and yet offering to us eternal life in the proclamation of his gospel. This is the glory and goodness of God in Christ, that he took to himself our guilt and our shame, even our death, that we might enjoy communion with the Father in love, in joy, and in life, having been justified in him. But our prayer this evening develops a second aspect of the ongoing work of Christ's spirit in our lives, namely our sanctification. Yes, we've been delivered from a guilty record, but he's also delivering us today again and again through trials and temptations and that corruption which still assails us and afflicts us in this life. When we are, quote, assaulted, foiled, and for a time led captive by temptations, end quote, what do we do? We call out to God in the name of our mighty deliverer, Jesus Christ. Thus, Christ is as much our Savior and deliverer each and every day in our sanctification as he makes us more holy, just as he was on that blessed day when we first knew his goodness and his grace to us in our justification, when we were reconciled to God through faith in him. Perhaps you're here this evening, boys and girls, and you do not yet know the saving grace of God in Christ. Perhaps if it has never occurred to you that you were born in the middle of a spiritual war zone and on the wrong side, nonetheless, surrounded by darkness and distress, then I challenge you, take up the Bible. Get help from your parents or friends or pastors or elders or other godly people in your lives. Take up the Bible and read for yourself. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Read the whole chapter, a wonderful summary of the gospel. Read the gospel of John or begin with Romans chapter 1. And read of the, the great affliction that faces each and every one of us, the challenge of a, of a sin-wrecked world and the plight of man. And then the good news of Christ come to reconcile sinners to God the Father, to save us from our sins. There is no hope for you apart from Christ Jesus. Don't delay any longer. Perhaps there are some of you here tonight, particularly I'm thinking of some boys and girls who know all about sin. And dear ones, as you reflect on sin and how it so troubles you, are you burdened by the guilt and shame which weighs you down? Are you uh, dragged down with worry and anxiety, frustration, maybe even anger at how you seem every day to sin and sin again and yet into trouble? if with no one else, at least with God who sees all things. And let this prayer grace your lips, dear ones. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And then, once you have been delivered, pray it again and again, each and every day. For God Almighty Himself is ready to deliver you. His mercies are new every morning to those who trust in Him. 
them. When we say that God Almighty himself is ready to deliver you through this sin-wrecked world and its deadly temptations, I want to make something very uh, clear uh, about this readiness that we're considering. There's a phrase that military and law enforcement professionals use, perhaps even in the Secret Service. I know Mr. Simpson knows it, having served in the Marine Corps, and that is mission readiness. Mission readiness. Another catchphrase. Well, God has a divine mission in this world of sin and temptation, and that is to defend and deliver his people through it. And while the Secret Service had a billion dollars last year to protect 53 high-profile people, as I mentioned, our Almighty God is ready and prepared to deploy every resource in heaven and on earth to lead you away from and sometimes through temptation and to deliver you from the evil one who seeks to devour and to destroy you. God is irrevocably, that means he can't change his mind, committed to his people and to this mission which he has. Notice his mission is not to protect this one and that one or only 53 people or even just 144,000 people or whatever number you want to make up, but rather to guarantee the safe passage of each and every one of his sheep, each and every one of his precious ones who have been bought by the blood of Christ to deliver them through their pilgrimage, to lead them on as our King Eternal, as we make uh, our way from this point A to that glorious point B in heaven above. Even to that eternal resting place which Christ himself is preparing for us and has gone ahead of us to prepare. And so this petition which we make for our own good is also a prayer which we should frame for the good of our brothers and our sisters around the world. Those who are persecuted those who perhaps are faced with temptations to compromise and to fall into sin, even as you look around this room after the service, each and every one of us, your beloved friends and neighbors, seminary professors and students, those with whom we do ministry and those with whom we fellowship with great joy and gladness in our hearts, we pray this for each other, even as we pray it for ourselves. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us with evil. And so when we pray, brothers and sisters, let us do so remembering that God is almighty and that God is perfectly committed to this, which Christ is putting on our lips, to lead us, not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. And so let us pray with confidence, with zeal, with urgency and fervor and sincerity of heart, therefore, brothers and sisters, Resting in him, resting in the promise that he hears us and that he is more committed than we could ever be to fulfilling this mission for his people's good and his own glory. Let us pray. Our great God in heaven above, we bless your name and we thank you that you indeed are committed to the good of your people and the glory of your Christ. We ask you now, O oh God, to sanctify us by your spirit to cause your word to take deep root in our hearts, to teach us to pray and how to pray, that we might do so rightly and frequently and fervently. Oh, Lord, we ask you now to set us apart to your service this week, 
to take even the meager offerings that we're going to present to you as an act of worship and to cause them to be useful in your service, even as we desire to be useful in your service, for the extension of your kingdom, not only here in the upstate, but even around the nation and to the ends of the earth. Lord, be glorified. Cause your name to be hallowed. And may your kingdom come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.